0: Well, we're in the book of John, John chapter 12. We, uh, we looked at John 11 last week. Um, but you have to understand, there's an incredible number of things that take place in between John chapter 11 and John chapter 12. Now, again, we've got four books in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that account for the life of Jesus Christ. Now, if you put them in a chronological order, you're going to have a mixture of those books going through. So we get to John 11, and then actually Matthew, Mark, and Luke record a few other things before we get to John 12. And I'll throw a couple of those up on the screen for you so you can view them. Some of them, you're like, wow, that's in there? Yeah. Uh, When Jesus heals the ten lepers, and one of them comes back and says, thank you, and the other nine keep going, that happened after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead few other things. He's teaching, he's telling parables, all kinds of stories. He's getting questioned by the religious leaders. Go figure, that happens, right? Um, Zacchaeus, remember him? Wee little man and a wee little... Man, was he? I was hoping somebody finished that for me. Yeah, it's something like, huh? It's a Sunday school song. It was a great song. Um, that took place uh, from where they were. They traveled around to Jericho, and then they came back around to Bethany, and then they're going to head back into Jerusalem. Is sort of the, the route they're taken. He returns sight to uh, Bartimaeus, who is a blind man, as well as one of his friends, and then Jesus Jesus even predicts his death in amidst in all this going on. Jesus, like, um, by the way, guys i going to put the pause button on all these exciting things, lepers and blind people getting healed. You guys got to hear something to hear, And this is what Jesus said. It's recorded in three different places. We're going to read it from, this is Mark chapter 10. They were now on their way to Jerusalem. Jesus was walking ahead of them and the disciples were filled with awe. The people following behind him were overwhelmed with fear. See all this emotion going on, how awesome Jesus is? Taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus once more begins to describe everything that was about to happen to him. So there's a lot of high emotion going on here. He's like, I got to talk to you 12. He pulls the 12 aside. He says, this is what you guys need to know. He goes, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where the son of man will be betrayed to the leading priest and the teachers of the religious law. They will sentence him to die, hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him. They will spit on him. They will flog him with a whip. They will kill him. But after three days, he'll rise again. Now, can you imagine Jesus is having this conversation with you if you're one of his disciples? He's like, hey, by the way, guys, this is going down. (laughs) Yeah, whatever, Jesus. We just saw you do some of the most miraculous, incredible things. You brought Lazarus back to life. You healed those lepers. Nobody gets healed from leprosy. The blind can see. You refuted those religious leaders. You have such power and power. All this is going to happen to you? Sure, whatever, Jesus. But all this takes place between John chapter 11 and John chapter 12. And then John chapter 12 begins this countdown. The clock has started. It's going to be one week. Jesus won't be around anymore. One week. Now, before we read verse 1, I want you to consider a few things, a few thoughts, okay? A- answer this question, if you will, in your mind, okay? You don't have to say it out loud. Maybe you can discuss this at home today. But if you had one week to live, what would you do? Now, I'm not talking about, like, I'm going to be in the hospital for the next seven days. But what if you knew, like, at, at the end of the week, after seven days, you know your life is coming to an end? What would you do? How would you spend that week? Some of us are like, well, I'm going to do all the things that I've been wanting to do that I've never done. I'm going to quit work, probably. Um, I'm probably going to cash in all my savings and go spend and do something. I actually might go to a casino. I don't know. I might go party with my friends. I might go to a place I've never been before, Hawaii. That sounds pretty cool. Never been there before, right? Or for some of us, or maybe most of us, we're like, i just going to spend time with my family. That's all I want to do. Now, some of us had that Sunday school answer. You're just sitting there waiting it. I would go tell everybody about Jesus Christ. Everybody. Now, I'm not making fun of that because I'm going to say, some of you actually would. You're like, you know what? It's my last shot. I'm going to tell people about Jesus. And it might start with your family. Regardless of what you do on that final week, we're going to enter into the life of Jesus here. And he's going to show us what he did on his final week. So... Remember this, John is uh, writing his book years after Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote their Gospels. We're talking a good span of years here. So he, remember, he fills in the cracks, certain situations, opens up news stories we didn't hear before, right? But he devotes the majority of his book to this final week. Now let's compare that to the other Gospels. Matthew used about 33% of his Gospel devoted to the final week of Jesus. Uh, Mark nearly used about 40%, Luke about uh, 25%, John a little over 50%, close to 50% of his book is devoted to this final week. Understand when we talk about this final week, it's something we refer to also as the passion. Um, This is powerful, it's important, it's time to sort of slow it down. What did he really do? So John gives us that time marker. We're at the very beginning of verse 1. He says, six days before the Passover. Oh, the Passover. Ooh, remember what's going to happen right about that point in time, right? Jesus is going to enter Jerusalem here real soon, but before he does, he's got something else he wants to do. So we find this same story, John chapter 12, and two other scriptures, Matthew chapter 26, Mark chapter 14. And in those accounts, we hear the same story, but presented differently. It's like if, if six of us got in a room and we hung out at something and we went to an event and then we come home and the next day we wake up and the six of us wrote down what happened the night before. We'd probably have six different accounts with some similarities. And that's what we have. So we're going to read through the book of John. We're not going to look at Matthew Mark, but we may pull some things from those stories, but we're going to focus on John's account. So in your Bibles, John chapter 12, verse 1, it says six days before the Passover began, celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus. The man he raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served. Lazarus was among those who ate with him. So here we are. We're back in Bethany. Now we're with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They're all there. They're in, they're in this, this home. And again, they're probably, who knows, celebrating the life of Lazarus. With all that Jesus had on his mind, think about this, he knows he's going towards Jerusalem. He's heading into the Passover. He's going to get arrested, crucified, buried, and raised again. But he's like, you know what? Before I do that, I'm going to spend some time with people that are close to me, family and friends. Let's eat together. Let's spend some time together. Let's talk. Let's laugh. Let's socialize, right? Again, if you had one week to live, what would you do? Well, this is what Jesus is going to do. He's going to start it all off by spending time with those who are very close to him. And we read from Matthew and from Mark that the actual house they went to was a guy by the name of Simon. He was once a leper. Could this be a leper that Jesus healed at one time? We don't know. It doesn't really specifically give in that certain account. But... When we read this, some people are like, you know, the Bible has all these different things, and sometimes they don't match up, so I think there's error. Some people look at the scripture and say, wait, it said they went to the home of Lazarus, and you just said they went to Simon, so whose house was it? That's a good question. So when you start studying and finding out the Greek meanings of words and that, when he says he went to the home of Lazarus, what they're referring to is the hometown of Lazarus. This is where he lived in Bethany. And the particular house that they went to where Lazarus lived was Simon. So they're in the house of Simon. Lazarus is there. Martha, Mary's there. And what I love is, the first thing we hear is Lazarus sitting there eating with them. What do you think the conversation is like? I mean, a lot of us like, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask this question, right? You all have those questions, right? Here's another one to add to your list. Hey, Lazarus, what did you and Jesus talk about at that dinner? You were dead four days in darkness. You heard the name of Jesus, Lazarus, come out. And you came out. Lazarus, what did you see? What was it like? When you were sitting there with Jesus and you're having this conversation, did you sort of look over at Jesus and sort of wink at him? Like, oh yeah, nobody else gets it. What was that conversation like? Let me ask you this. Thinking that whole thing with Lazarus, When's the last time you sat and communed with Jesus? I mean, just sit down and get quiet with him. When's the last time that happened? Some of us enjoy sitting down and having a good conversation over meal. Some of you are like, I could sit for hours at this table and just talk to this person. Okay. Some of you are like, No, I'm going like drive-through fast food. I gotta grab it and go. Right. We all eat differently. We all spend time with people differently. Which one are you, okay? Because sometimes, sometimes it's sort of how we are spiritually. Some of us love to sit down and commune with Jesus and just have a quiet time and pray and read. And there's all of us who are like, uh, here's a good devotional. Check mark, did it, okay. And we move on, right? That's a, that's a drive-through fast food Jesus right there, okay? When's the last time you sat down and truly communed with him? After all, he is what? The bread of life, Right? Have you feasted on his words? Look at verse 3. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with a fragrance. Now, again, this is during supper, and Mary gives a remarkable, incredible gift to Jesus. Jesus. Look what he does. It wasn't unusual, okay? It's not unusual to wash the feet of somebody when they come in for a meal. Here's what was unusual about this whole thing. Three things. First of all, she washed his feet during the meal. You don't wash people's feet during the meal. You wash it beforehand, right? And then also, what did she wash him with? It was unusual that she used a very costly oil and it is perfume to do it. That was unusual, Because sometimes a servant would wash the feet, maybe drip some um, little oil drops on on their head, maybe anoint them, and that would be it. But now she's doing this during the meal. She's doing it with a very costly oil. And then she wipes his feet, not with a towel, but with her hair. She lets her hair down and she wipes his feet. Now, let's talk through those things real quick. First of all, what she did was incredibly humble. When a guest enters a home, usually the guest has that servant, somebody there, that their feet are going to get washed, right? And their head might be anointed with a couple drops of oil, perfume. But Mary takes her most precious gift she has, her perfume, and she's going to bust that open at the feet of Jesus. And this was the action of a servant. She decided to take that action on herself. She goes, I'll take that humble position as a servant and wash his feet. That was not her job. She chose to do it. She said, I, I, I want to serve you. And she humbled herself. And then her, her gift was also pretty extravagant. I, I want you to think about this. She used a lot of perfume. A pound, they say. It came close to a pound. And when we, when we look at this, uh, this spice, these ointments were used in investment. Maybe they were used in burial. She knew he was going to be dying. She got it. Nobody else did. We'll talk about that in a minute. But we're told later that what she used, that pound of oil and perfume, was worth 300 denarii. Which was basically your income. If you're in here and you work a full-time job, Okay, all, take all your paychecks for the next 12 months. That's what you're going to need to buy this. That's how expensive this perfume was. A year's worth of wages for a working man. That's pretty extravagant if you ask me. Then her gift was remarkably unselfconscious. Now what do I mean by unselfconscious? Not only did she give all of this oil, this this perfume to Jesus, she took her hair and she let her hair down. I have no clue what that means, okay? It's like, I can't let my hair down, right? Culturally, we're like, what does that mean? It means probably nothing to us. But culturally back then, women, especially once you're married, you kept your hair up, you kept your head covered for the most part. And if you were walking around with your hair down, ladies, you might be considered an immoral woman, a prostitute possibly. So you better put your hair up and bind it up and cover it up, right? Oh, Mary's there in front of Jesus. She just lets her hair down. She uses it to wipe the feet. And everybody's like, "Uh, what is she doing? She's getting crazy, right? She didn't care what other people were thinking, though. Do you realize that? Let me think about this for a second. When you want to express your love for Jesus, how do you express it? I bet a lot of us in there are pretty reserved. I, I grew up very reserved. Very reserved. Sit in the pew. Shh, be quiet. I mean, I'm telling you, if you even lean forward in your pew and it goes, and it cracks a little, you know, somebody at the end of the pew is like, oh, shh, mm, sorry, oh, sorry, didn't mean to say sorry. Oh, I said it again, Sorry. You, know, you don't, don't don't talk, right? You know, the only time you talk in our church is if you're gonna, Amen. I could talk then, you know. So it's like that was the only time you could talk in our church if you were given a hearty Amen, right? So we were very reserved. We didn't clap. We didn't raise our hands. And today, you know, we got everybody worships in different styles, right? We see people worshiping differently. And for Mary, this is Mary worship. This is what I meant as having a Mary moment. Okay, It's where she just she didn't care what other people thought. It's you and me, Jesus. I'm putting my hair down because I just want to wipe your feet. I want to take care of you. I want to serve you. I want to humbly take care of you. And she just lets down. She doesn't care what everybody else thinks. Go ahead, judge me. She didn't care. She just wanted to worship. Did you ever do that? Ever in a moment of worship, do you ever just want to throw up your hands and just worship him? Maybe you just want to close your eyes and just twirl around, maybe maybe dance, maybe you want to shout. You ever have those moments when you want to worship Jesus like that? There's times I'm up here and I don't want to raise my hand. You want to know why? Because I'm afraid of what you'll think. It's like, oh, Pastor Rex is raising his hands. He's getting all charismatic. Right? He grew up in a Baptist church. Is he allowed to do that? Am I supposed to do that? Pastor's doing it. Hey, hey, I'm doing it too, right? Let's all do it, you know? I, there's, oh, there was a beautiful moment of worship it was on one of our worship nights. It was the Christmas one. Mike Fogarty's sitting right over here, and he just felt called to stand. He was having a merry moment, right? Okay? And he stood up, and he was just worshiping. And I was like, oh, I want to stand, too. But I'm afraid if I stand, then everybody's like, oh, the pastor's standing. Let's all stand. Okay, right? So I hesitated. Paul, I know Paul hesitated, too, because he's like, because we sort of get that. We're sort of like, we want you to feel called by God to worship. And you know, we say there's a call to worship. If I'm challenging and telling you to worship, then are you really worshiping or is God telling you to worship? And Mary's having those moments where she's like, I just want to worship. I don't care what the rest of you think. And there are moments I will raise my hand. There are moments I might drop to my knees. There are moments when I might you know, start tearing up and crying. It's like I can't even talk. And it's like, I'm having one of those moments when I really don't care what you all think because I want to worship my Jesus. And we need to be free to do that and free without judgment. If the person next to you doesn't want to raise your hand, that is so fine. Again, so for some of us, it's like, I don't worship that way. That's fine. You worship however God calls you to worship. But if somebody else starts getting all like, I'm just letting it all go, they are having that moment like Mary where they just want to worship. And that is a beautiful thing. But that's so Mary. Remember what Mary did? Three instances. We talk about when we find Mary, Luke 10, 39, she's at the feet of Jesus learning. In John 11:32, 32, she's at the feet of Jesus surrendering. And now here in John chapter 12, verse 3, Mary's at the feet again, bowing of, at Jesus' feet, anointing with oil and the perfume. That's Mary's personality. Not everybody in here is a Mary. Martha was worshiping that day too. She was in the kitchen serving. She was preparing the food that for her, she was doing with the joy. She's like, I can't wait to make food for other people. I can't wait to serve Jesus. I can't wait to give him this food. For her, she was worshiping through serving. Lazarus? What was Lazarus doing? Was Lazarus getting all crazy in his worship style? He was communing with Jesus. He was sitting there eating with Jesus. I just want to talk to you. I just want to spend time with you. Did you see three different people, three different styles of worship? The point is, they were all worshiping. Incredible ways for Mary, it was pretty extravagant. It was, it caught people off guard, right? But her love for Jesus was powerful. It was, it was potent, right? It was potent. That's that's another one right there. Okay. When you think about this, I want to ask you this: Have you ever? I don't know if you ever did this. Have you ever walked by someone who maybe put on a little too much perfume or cologne? You ever done that before? Um, I remember growing up in church we had we had this um I said it wrong in the first service. I said we had this old lady. We had an older lady in our church, uh, an elderly lady in our church who before she left her house um i don't know what kind of perfume she used. Um, I picture one of those bottles, you know those big squirt things I'm just saying she like and it was like you ran into her and it was like a force field like you could smell her fifty yards away. It was like, Hey, guess who's coming around the corner? You knew she was coming, right? Uh, and she had just strong smell. You knew she was coming, right? Y'all follow me on this one? We know when we smell some, my sniffer, I don't know. I think I'm getting older and my sniffer doesn't work the way it used to. But I worked with this one school and um, I talked to the boys basketball team and then they go in the gym and the girls come out of the gym and they come into the same place where I just talked to the boys and I talked to the girls, Never fails. Every single week. Every single week. It'll happen again this week. Get them on to the boys. They go in. The girls come out five minutes later. And they come out like, Ew, smells like boys in here. I'm like, I really don't smell anything. Um, it must be my sniffer, right? So you can sort of imagine what's going on here in, in this scripture when Mary just dumped all this perfume all over the place, right? It says there was a fragrance that filled the house. I mean, can you imagine that? Mary, Mary comes in and this this sense, this smell is now permeating the house. You know why? Because she has been at the feet of Jesus, she took her hair, she's wiping all that pound of perfume and oil, all anybody in here ever use essential no, don't raise your hands. Essential oils, you know, they, they they get like a little drop of pepper. Like, Okay, that'll take care of my headaches. Okay, and um, or whatever, something like that. I mean, seriously, we do that, right? Maybe one or two drops, and somebody comes walking by like, ooh, you got an oil on, don't you? And it's like, how can you smell that? I can't smell that, it's just one drop. Now listen, a pound of this, a bottle of it, dumped out all over in your hair. And you're like, and you wave your hair back, and you start walking through the house. Oh, the whole house is gonna be just permeating with that smell, isn't it? Church, listen to me. The fragrance of Christ is on you. As a believer in Jesus Christ, His Holy Spirit is in you. As you leave this place my question to you would be one of those things like, are you going to stink up this world for Him? That's probably a bad way to say it, isn't it, right? (laughs) But when you leave this place, will will the fragrance of Christ permeate your life so much that it affects everybody else around you? Will you walk out of this place into a restaurant or go home or go shopping or go somewhere and somebody's like... There's something different about you. What is it? You know, it's like they, they smell you come and they could see Christ in you, right? Yeah. This is what's going on with Mary. Now, this whole first part of the sermon here has been love and devotion, right? And in the next few minutes, we're going to wrap it up. But we got to sort of go the other way with it because it wasn't all good. Matter of fact, there's a guy by the name of Judas. Turn to verse four. Um, but Judas Iscariot, the disciple of, who would soon betray him, said this, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole money, uh, for, so, stole some for himself. Now, the betrayal of Judas here, which was predicted by Jesus, was so much darker in contrast to the lightness of what we just saw with Mary, isn't it? Judas probably objected to Mary's gift because, you know, He's probably shamed a little bit by her simple uh, and powerful display of love. Now he's sitting there and he's like, whoa, look what she's doing. <laughs> uh, I need to say something, right? Break the ice here. It's a little awkward right now. You know, this is the only place in the New Testament where Judas is doing something evil other than betraying Jesus. I mean he secretly hid the darkness of his life to everyone. Everybody thought, "Hey, he's one of the 12 disciples. He's a holy guy. He's a follower of Jesus Christ. He is some kind of superstar, right?" And a lot of us Christians, we can do that too. We can we can hide it. We can look so good. Oh, I'm such a good Christian. But on the inside, we've got some darkness. We've got some deep secrets that we don't want anybody to know about. Oh, if you only knew what I do on the weekend. Oh, if you only knew what I got into trouble with. If you only knew the sins I'm being challenged with right now. But no, we were the Christians. We put on our Christianese language and uniforms and walk around like, it's all good. It's all good, right? But here's the thing. Jesus knew. In John chapter 2, verses 23-25, it says this. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. But Jesus didn't trust them, be, listen, because he knew all about people, is what scripture says. He goes on to say, no one needed to tell Jesus about human nature, for he knew which was, which was in each person's heart. Church, listen, Jesus knows what's in your heart. You can fake everybody on social media. Jesus like, I see right through that. Matter of fact, in John 6, 61, 64, says this, Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. I hear you. I mean, actually, you're not talking loud enough, but I hear you guys. I know what's going on, right? He says, does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort, what you're doing, accomplishes nothing And the very words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe. And he knew who would betray him. Ooh. This was years before all this goes down. He's like, I already know who's going to betray me. And I know what your heart's like. I know what your heart's like. I know what your heart's like. And yet a lot of us, were like Judas. We try to hide everything. God knows your heart. He knows right where we're at. He knows what sins we calculate and what we scheme in our minds and our hearts. He may not, listen, he may not do anything right now. You're like, I'm getting away with it. He must not care. No, he sees it. Eventually you will pay for it. But he's going to see if you're going to correct it and go to him about it. You know, we rightly suppose that John did not know at the time that Judas was a thief. He didn't know. Now remember, he's writing this years later, so he knew what Judas did. And so now as he's writing, he's giving us a little bit more information about this. Telling us that he, was, he wanted to take that money. Okay, think about this. He wanted to take the 300 denarii, okay? And he wanted to sell and have all that money. And then here's the thing, though. What did he do? He betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. You know how much that is? Two and a half times less than the perfume. Judas was a treasurer. He's a position of trust. Everybody looked at him like, well, we can trust him. He's the treasurer. He's got our money. Yeah, you know what? John uses a, a, a Greek word here in, in talking about the scripture, saying that he carried the treasure bag. The word carried means to bear. To bear means to lift, as in shoplift, is the word that's being used here. So John throws this out here. He says, oh yeah, he carried the bag, but he carried a little bit out of it and put it in his own pocket. Jesus replied, verse seven, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you. You will not always have me. You know know how Mary knew that he was going to die and that he's going to be buried and he needed a burial ointment on him? She'd been sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to him. Remember, he told his disciples, he told everybody, I'm going to die, this is how it's going to happen. I'm going to get spit on, I'm going to get flogged. I'm going to be buried and three days later I'm going to rise again. And she's like, I heard that. All the other disciples like, we don't get it. She heard it. Luke chapter 18, 34 says, but they didn't understand any of this. The significance of his words were hidden from them and they failed to grasp what he was talking about. Jesus says, leave her alone. And in our one commentary writer said this, if we are extreme in our love for Jesus, he will not criticize us. That was what Judas did. It's much better to be like Mary, extreme in our love for Jesus, than to be like Judas, criticizing others who show such great love for Jesus. It makes you wonder, can we be like Judas sometimes? Hey, quit worshiping Jesus like that. Ooh. Next time you start criticizing somebody for how they worship Jesus, think about it. You want to be a Mary or do you want to be a Judas? You know the amazing thing about this, what she did? Is it's always going to be remembered. Jesus said this, I'm sorry, Mark, Mark wrote this, but Jesus said this, I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Here we are, 2,000 years later, and we're talking about it, just like Jesus said. Her act of worship and devotion was incredible. I'm going to wrap this up. and I'm going to leave the story and just ask you these questions. Here's the first question. Am I a true believer? Ask yourself that. Am I a true believer? Am I spending time with Jesus? Am I communing with him? Am I sitting down and having a meal with him? Am I spending time with him? What does my devotional life look like? Compared to Lazarus, you know, I, do you do that? Do you sit down with him? You know, here's, here's the thing. A lot of people say, oh, I wish I knew more about the Bible like you. That's your fault. It really is. Don't blame me. Don't blame your parents. Don't do it. Don't blame a Sunday school teacher. Don't blame your youth leaders. Don't blame your youth pastors. You know whose responsibility it is to pick up the word and read it? You. Me. If I don't know it, that's on me. If I didn't read it, that's on me. Don't blame the world for our laziness in digging into God's word. Church, I want to encourage you. Our responsibility, our responsibility is to be in God's word. If you don't know it, get it. And if you feel bad about what I just said, good. Sorry I stepped on your toe. I'm not sorry, okay? Because sometimes we gotta have our toes stepped on a little bit to realize, you know what? It is my responsibility. You You know, I have not memorized scripture in years. But it took a race car driver to sit down with me and say, hey, here's what I'm doing. And you guys ought to be doing it too. And here's somebody who's not a pastor telling a pastor, how come you aren't memorizing scripture? How come you're not doing what we are called to do in understanding God's word? It's like, you're right. Now I'm doing it. I want to challenge you to do it too. Commune with him. Here's the second thing. Do I praise or do I pretend? Do I praise or do I pretend to praise? Last question is, when I'm around others, am I potent or am I a poser? A poser is somebody who's trying to look like somebody else. You're trying to pose. You know what I'm saying? Or are you potent? Can people smell you? Are you the real thing or are you fake? Now, every year, I got my cologne, okay? I got two bottles of cologne up here. You don't know which one is which, okay? Because I've got the labels covered. But you can probably tell because, like, oh, it's got a fancy thing on there. Yeah, they all do, right? See, every year at Christmas, I always ask for a bottle of cologne, Okay? And when I run out of my bottle of cologne, I go get the classic match. Okay? Hashtag cheap stuff. It's supposed to smell better or like, but isn't really. Okay, Doesn't last as long in its smell or anything like that, right? And so the crazy thing is, when I run out of my cologne after a few months, however it is, halfway through the year, whatever it is, I run out, I go get the classic match. I fake everybody out, right? Everybody except my wife. Walk in the other room, she's like, Mm, did you run out of cologne? (laughs) Yeah. Did you buy the classic match? Yeah, yeah. God's the same way. See, we can try to permeate ourselves with, with praise and say, Hey God, look at me. And he's like, I can smell you a mile away and you are not potent at all. Matter of fact, you stink like Judas. You walk around acting like you know me, but you don't. I can smell right through that. You need the real stuff. You need the real stuff. Worship team, would you come forward, please? Church, I want to encourage you this morning, okay? I I want to encourage you this morning to do something. Here's the thing. A lot of us want to be spiritually changed in our lives. We want to be different. We're like, God, come and pour your life onto me. Pour your spirit into me, right? Church, look at this position right here. You can't do this until we learn to do this with our possessions, with our life, with our decisions, with everything we want. Because we hold on to so much stuff. Until you let go of some of the things that you're holding on to, you'll never be able to do this and let God come in and really fill you up and pour over you. I want to encourage you, get alone with Jesus. Get alone with him. Spend some time communing with him, praying with him. Grab his word, open it up. It's our responsibility to get in here. I will do my best to encourage you and I will read from God's word but you got to do it too. Are you like Mary or are you like Judas? Are you willing to spend everything you got? You know why she broke that jar open? She was not planning on using it ever again. I'm giving you all and I'm not going to put anything else back in here except you. And I'm going to take you and put it all over me. And everywhere I go, people are going to know, I've been with you. Would you stand, please? Judas kept that bag from which he stole. Mary broke the box and she gave it all she had, right? She spent all she had to worship Jesus and Judas sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. There's definitely a difference between the two of them, right? He was such a poser, tried to look like a disciple, but he really wasn't. Mary. Mary's like, I'm just gonna be real. I don't care what y'all think. I'm gonna worship my Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an awesome God you are. And God, we do want to worship you. We, wanna, we just want to worship you. We want to sing to you. Because you, you love us so much. God, you sent your son Jesus to save us. We're caught up in sin. We make mistakes. And the only way we can find forgiveness is by seeking you and asking for forgiveness. There's not enough good things in this world we could do to ever get ourselves right with you. It doesn't matter how many times we come to church. It doesn't matter how much time we read the Bible. The only thing that gets rid of that sin was the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, on that cross. And ask for that forgiveness from you. That's how we get it right. So God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you, God, Lord. We just want to get at his, at his feet. We want to worship him. God, we want to just permeate this building and everywhere we go with the scent of a savior. We love you, Lord. In our name we pray, amen.